Got it. Welcome to another episode of Game of Life with Dan and Harmon. It's just Dan here today because Harmon's taken the next few months off the podcast. But I'm excited to be joined by a weather presenter who's also an actual meteorologist, which you don't often get, you know, weather presenters, they're not often meteorologists as well. Nate Byrne, welcome to the show. Thanks, Dan. And yeah, you're dead on. But that's only really a thing in Australia. Yeah. Other places, yeah, meteorologist, weather presenter goes hand in hand, but mm. not here. It's a bit unusual. Yeah. So the weather presenters I'm familiar with mm. is yourself, Grant Daniel. <laughs> uh, yeah. Not a meteorologist. <laughs> Sam Mack. Not a meteorologist. And Tim Bailey. Not a meteorologist. I know. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. But, but they know lots about the weather because you can't do this job and not learn. Yeah, exactly. So... You spent 12 years in the Navy before yeah. you became a meteorologist. Is that correct? Oh, well, no. So I became a meteorologist in the Navy. So really? I, yeah. So I joined, oh, I joined in 04. Oh, well, that's when I signed up. And then um, I actually went away for my training in 05. Yeah, right. Because um, I was an undergrad naval officer. So they just left me at uni to uh, finish my science degree. And then I didn't become a meteorologist until 2013. Yeah, right. So, yeah, I spent a few years driving ships. I started off as uh, what was called a seaman officer. Yeah. They realised that that was a little bit... <clears throat> so it's now a maritime warfare <laughs> officer. Um, yeah, and then I specialised as a, as a meteorologist and oceanographer. So I trained yes. at the Bureau. Yeah, right. Um, but, yeah, then did some forecasting for the Navy before I made the switch really? to my job now. So what years are we talking about here? For the forecasting? Uh, no, no, for the Navy. Oh, so, yeah, so yeah. from 2005 mm-hmm. I was properly in uniform yeah. um and so my my first job was to learn how to drive a ship yeah. so i it took a couple of years of training uh and then i was mostly on mine hunters through until about 2010 so a good you know five mm. years of training and then and then actually doing the job uh and then 2010 i went off to the middle east and did some counterterrorism yeah. operations working for the coalition uh and then Came back to Australia, was a teacher for a little while, uh, teaching at our navigation facility yeah. and bridge simulator. And then, yeah, did my specialisation. Then a couple of years of forecasting uh, before I took myself off to uni to get a master's in science communication. Yeah. And then right on the back of that, I was only just back in uniform. I saw uh, this little job ad for ABC News Breakfast Weather Presenter. And I thought, oh, go on. They won't say yes. That's such an odd thing to just apply for as well and get, <laughs> yeah. like with no sort of presenting background either no no experience on telly like so the masters i did was in science communication yeah. outreach so i'd spent a bit of time on stage doing science shows for yes. kids and stuff yeah. a big part of that master's program is is literally driving through uh regional and remote australia to do some good old science communications yes. with with school kids and and those communities that don't get access to things like science museums yeah. like we would rock up and do a pop-up science museum in a like a gymnasium or a church or something wherever they had some space in the community um yeah so it was so as i got some experience with talking to a whole range of people there back in the navy you know i was always yeah. briefing the higher ups yeah. about the weather so i knew how to simplify it yeah. and uh, focus on what it is people needed to know and then doing the my masters taught me how to make it exciting yeah. rather than boring so i guess i kind of had some some lateral skills I, yes. I could mush together into although you know all that said please never go back <laughs> and watch me during the first week on air i was i've, I've had to look yeah. back it was horrific. Well, all that experience that you've taken to the ABC, mm. 
it's quite different until a camera is in your face. Yeah. The really weird thing is, well, for me originally, I'm okay with it now, was that uh, the cameras are there. There are lots of cameras, but no people. Yes. There's no one in the room. So there's us presenters. So there's generally five presenters and a floor manager. That is it in the studio. Unless there are some guests getting ready to jump on the couch for a chat or, you know, someone at the desk or whatever. But, but, you know, there's there's no audience of any sort. And even just crew wise, because all of the cameras are robotic. Yeah. It was really odd to try to figure out uh, how to talk to potentially hundreds of thousands of people yeah. without being able to see one of them. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was an odd... You're just uh, talking move. to yourself. Yeah, so you yeah. really have to imagine the audience and imagine that there's somebody there. Um, that, that, that's always when I'm... So I, I write a script every morning, but I only write one, um, which annoys everybody because, you know, normally everything's in the auto queue yeah. and people read the auto queue. I do that only once because I have a script that needs to be 90 seconds long. Uh, every other weather hit, I just talk to the clock. So the right. poor old auto cue operator out the back that's trying to follow me, I'm all <laughs> over the place. I just ad lib uh, because I, you know, I know what I, yeah, I, I know my course. subject, and yeah. and I know, oh, you know, I can either say the same thing in, um, you know, two minutes, or I can say it in forty seconds. Yeah. It just it depends on how much time I've got. So um, yeah, it's 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 a fun weird yeah thing that I do. What time do you usually wake up? Three thirty in the morning. Three thirty in the morning. Yeah, actually. Um, it, does this get edited? Yeah, it will. Okay, yeah, cool. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, just, just in case I thought I'd let you yeah. know, like, <laughs> uh, you know, this is obviously being recorded in the past. Yes. We've just gone out of our summer, uh, time. Yeah. Uh, so during, during summer, we spend a few weeks where the show goes to air an hour later. So I've yeah. just gone from waking up at four 30 in the morning back to three 30. So uh, right. you've got me and you've got me after work. So, yeah. um, excuse me if I'm a little delirious. No, that's okay. So what time do you go to bed? Well, um, okay, so when I uh, am completely on my own, I go to bed at like 7.30, 8 o'clock. But in real life where you want to hang out and have a life yeah. with other human beings who are day walkers, uh, I normally do a, an afternoon nap for, for a couple of hours, sometimes a few hours, uh, and then go to bed 9.30, 10 o'clock. Mm. Yeah, I, I, although, you know, Navy taught me how to sleep in shifts. Yes. So that's a... That's something that I just just occurred to me mm. with the navy. Obviously, a you know you know a well structured environment. There's a lot of discipline involved. Yeah. Do you take that with you in your civilian life now? Well, it turns out that television is is actually not that different. You know, really? stuff has to happen yeah. at a certain time. I don't get a say. I don't get to yeah. like go and go, oh, can I, can I deliver that next week? Like yeah. it's got to happen right now. I've got to be there and I've got to get it right. Yeah. Uh, so that's very, very similar to the Navy. It was almost like a direct transition. That plus the weird hours. Um, yeah, it's, you know, there are so many things that are not the same. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But essentially, you know, I put on a uniform every day. It looks different every day, but it's yeah. essentially, you know, I've got a wardrobe yeah. to choose from, which is exactly yeah. the same as the Navy. Um, I've got to be there on time. I've got to do the job right. And uh, and I'm accountable for what I do. So, yeah, a lot of it's pretty directly translatable, you know, and, and I've got a boss that I report to yeah. in the same way. Yeah. Did the sort of, I guess, you would have got to a point where you started to get a little bit famous from the show. Yeah, that's been weird. What was that like? Very odd because I, I guess I knew that 
it was a risk, yeah. <laughs> but that's not why I'm here. You know, yeah. like I have, and, and this might not sound genuine, I guess, you know, because I go to a red carpet event every now and then. And, yeah. you know, I, I do things because I've, I've got a, a public face. Um, like I'm invited to do things, yeah. I mean. Um, but for me, it's not the being famous side of it. It's it's the opportunity to do what I want to do, which is communicating good science and advocating for the queer community. You know, it's an opportunity to do things hopefully for other people. Yeah. I would have zero problem walking down the street and never being recognised. It's kind of a one of the hazards of the job. Yeah. But I also do love being recognised because it's usually when people have connected in some way and 99.9999% of every interaction I have is positive, which is such a good thing because it tells me that the work I'm doing is, is, is reaching people. Yeah, absolutely. So take me back a little bit. Mm-hmm. What were you like as a kid? <laughs> I was a total nerd. Yeah. I mean, I mean, essentially me now, but but a little softer. Um, the the Navy definitely hardened me yeah. in certain ways. Um, but I was I was always pretty much the same, pretty chatty, pretty friendly, um, deeply nerdy and dorky. And uh, were you always a science nerd? <laughs> yes, in what I really remember but i came to science via magic like because i yeah. lived in a fantasy world in my head i read voraciously i read a lot and i always wanted to like, i couldn't wait until my magical powers came yeah because you know in every story especially those aimed at kids when you hit your puberty like that's when your magic powers yes. really start isn't yeah. it or your or your mutant abilities or whatever i was always hanging for that the thing i always wanted to do was to fly that was the, yeah, the major thing, my, my real fantasy. Um, and then I realised that that probably wasn't going to happen. Yeah. Right. Um, mostly because I, I I knew magic was a thing and so I'd asked my parents to get me a magic kit so mm-hmm. I could learn how to be magic and then realised pretty quickly that, I mean, it was a cheap plastic crappy, yeah, it was yeah. nothing, but... I realized pretty quickly, like, this isn't magic. These are all just, it's just tricks. It's just ways of fooling people or whatever, which in itself is incredibly fascinating. But then I realized that, like, real magic, maybe maybe it isn't a thing. Yeah. But I wasn't sure, but maybe not. But either way, let's not bother waiting on it. How else do I fly? And I wanted, I thought about it and decided that I wanted to be a, a, a spaceman, you know, an astronaut. Um, but then when I turned six, I found out that I had terrible eyesight, like really bad. And back then it's less the case now, but back then, you know, you had to be a pilot. So you had to have good eyesight. So that was just struck off. Um, so the next step I was like, right, well, if I'm not allowed to do that, maybe I could invent something that would let me fly like a jetpack or something. So I used to draw little jetpacks and that slowly nudged me closer and closer towards science. You know, like Mm. you can't do this thing via magic, but maybe we can figure out a way that you can do it anyway. And that's essentially what science is. Yeah. Yeah. So when do you get into the Navy then? Like how, how, how long after school did you get into the Navy? (laughs) So I applied when I was in, uh, towards the end of year Mm. 11, 
Uh, and I went through the the entire application process, now, remembering that I had mm. bad eyesight, yeah. right? So I knew it was a risk. Was it specifically to pursue a career in science? Uh, look, I no, no, no it wasn't. No. Um, it sort of just uh, happened by. Well, no, I I would have been in the science side of things. Like yeah. that that is what I wanted, but that wasn't why I joined the navy. Mostly, mm. I joined the navy now in retrospect. Um, because I'm a first-generation Australian. Yeah. My parents are both British. And I think even though that's, you know, not that yeah. much of a, a change in, in cultures, I think um, one thing I recognise from a lot of people who are, who are first-generation Australians, uh, your parents just really want stability for you, right? Mm-hmm. So they pushed and nudged and encouraged heavily towards the military, you know, because it was such a stable job yeah, and good money. and. Yeah. And so I'd found something that I wanted to do because, like I said, I was a bit of a bit of a dork and a bit of a wuss yeah. as a kid. Um, I, I looked at the, the jobs on offer in the military and actually not many of them seemed all that appealing at the time. Yeah. Um, but the meteorology and oceanography thing, that, that seemed all right. Yeah. I could do that. Yeah. And I, I enjoyed science at school. I was pretty good at it. So I thought, oh, yeah, I'll get it. I'll join the Navy, go, go to the Defence Force Academy get a science degree, become a meteorologist. That sounds good. Um, but then they let me get through the entire application process before they said, they brought me in for an interview and said, Hey, uh, love your application. You're a perfect candidate, uh, except for your eyesight. That is going to limit you uh, on some of the jobs you can do. And I was like, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I saw that coming. I'm not going to be a pilot. I know. <laughs> They're like, yeah, no, actually there's only one job you can do. Um, you could be a chaplain. <laughs> I was like, oh, you have <laughs> fundamentally misunderstood me, <laughs> Royal Australian Navy. Uh, so I panicked and went away and applied for uni. I didn't have a backup. Yeah. You know, everyone said, have a backup plan. I yeah. was like, don't need to. I'm going to be in the military. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to join the Navy. And it didn't happen. So I panicked and uh, just kind of went, oh, what can earn you money? Uh, computers, computer science. Yes. So I went and... Uh, yeah, started at UWA as a com- doing computer science, a Bachelor of Science in, in Computer Sciences. Uh, and it was during the first year I was taking physics as an elective. Like, who does that? <laughs> Number one. <laughs> what? And then, uh, yeah, I went to a computer science lab. Like, I was handing in a, an, an assignment. I walked into the lab and uh, so when I say lab, you know, room full of computers. Yep. Uh and I woke up some guys that were there, you know, typical, it's exactly what you're thinking about, empty pizza boxes, you know, Pepsi bottles, whatever. Uh, and I woke them up and they were like, oh, 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 we were coding so hard. <laughs> we were here all night and fell asleep. And I was just like, wow, that is not the future I want for me. <laughs> and that's what I sat down and just went, hold on a second. You're doing for physics for fun, you doofus. Just do physics. Yeah. So then I switched. Luckily, I was already in a science degree doing computer science. So then I, I shifted hard and, and went for, yeah, biophysics and, and a whole bunch of extra stuff. I always did random uh, extra units wherever I could. So I did a bit of French and a bit of anthropology. Yeah. Sex and aggression. That was the best class ever. Bit of everything. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. It's, as a... As a writer myself, I've sort of, over the course of this podcast, I've been told not to have a fallback, if, if, which is which is interesting. Yeah. I was told this by one of the actors that we've had on the show is, if you're going to be an actor, 
just be an actor and don't have a fallback. Mm. What do you think of that? Look, I was always told, you know, reach for the top rung. Yeah. Because then you've got a lot of rungs you can hit if you don't reach it. Mm-hmm. But the thing is you have to know those other rung, rungs are there, right? Otherwise, yeah. if you don't reach it, maybe you throw your hands up in the air. I would say not necessarily have a I, – I, like, I get the point. I get the point. Yeah. Like if I'm – I'm doing something to get me by, but I really want this other thing above yeah. and beyond. But if I'm already doing this thing, then maybe I end up too comfortable and don't don't continue reaching and striving. But at the same time, um, I think I think it's handy to know what else you could yeah. do with your skills because you would never know. Well, could yeah, be untapped potential. Well, yeah. the thing for me, the the I guess the reason I am where I am now. Uh, and not by any means at the end of a journey, but it's because I keep putting my hand up for stuff. And along the way, none of the things have been the ultimate thing that I really wanted to do, yeah. but all of them have added together to get me here. Mm-hmm. So I guess from like a, an artistic purist's sort of point of view, and yeah. I guess as a writer, yes. you've got to write. You yeah. have to write. Yeah. Right? Keep writing. Um, but from, I don't know, for me, I think I think having... I. Extra ideas about what else you could do is a handy thing to have in your back pocket. What sort of advice would you give to someone who doesn't know what they want to do? Is it just to see what else is out there? I My advice would be put your hand up and try yeah. lots of stuff. Yeah. That's that's mostly it. Um, I still don't know what I want to do when I grow up. <laughs> uh, like I'm, I've always really enjoyed everything that I have done, like my time in the Navy – People, as a kid, looking forward to being in the military, I was I was nervous mm. and I didn't think I would have a great time. I was just kind of doing this thing because it was stable and you made money. Yes. Blah, blah, blah. Um, but when I was in the military, I can't think of a single day. I can think of moments, but I can't think of a single day where I hated it. Mm. You know, where I was like, yeah. I'm done with this. I'm yeah. out. And I left on a high. Yep. And, it, you know, came to telly and it's all just been highs ever since. But same, same. There are moments that are annoying. Um, but the so what, I'm, what I'm getting at is I think my advice is really to try lots of things whenever you can. Put your hand up yep. and say, yes, I'll give it a crack. And then find the fun in what you're doing because that will help inform you where to look next and yeah. what to say yes to next. You know, I, I didn't like step out of high school and instantly, you know, get get to the top tier of anything. Yeah. I've just slowly over the years kept having a crack at stuff. Do you think people truly know what they want to do when they get out of high school? Oh, no. Yeah. No, no, not at all. Um, And most of us don't ever end up with that dream you have as a kid, right? Yeah. Like not, not. It's very rare for people to actually be living yeah. the dream. Yeah. Yeah. Although I am. Yeah. Because apparently I said to my mum, oh, probably, I don't know, four or five or something, I said I wanted to be a weatherman. But uh, as far as I can figure out, I think it's because I knew that grown-ups needed a job. And yeah. so I kind of looked at the world of grown-ups around me and noticed the weatherman who did about five minutes work a day. So I was like, oh, that seems good because that's heaps more time to play. Like you're not yeah. spending eight hours or all. Yeah. You know, so I've got time to play. Turns out, by the way, no. <laughs> I work a hell of a lot more than five minutes a day. Not realising um, you have to get up at three in the morning. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> um, but 
uh, you know, so I, I guess I did kind of get to tick a box in a way, but so few people do. And the thing yeah. is when, when you're a kid, like the world is both huge and also tiny, right? It's full of possibility, but you know, so little about it. Yeah. So tying yourself to those childhood dreams isn't necessarily all that useful because there is so much more of the world that you don't even know exists. Yeah. Do, do you think you've missed out on any opportunities that you could have taken throughout your life? So many. Yeah. So many. Actually, even as I was coming to the ABC, uh, I was lining up in my meteorological career to head to Antarctica to really? go and forecast for six yeah, months. Yeah, wow. the Navy sends a, one meteorologist every summer. Um, but the way that I dealt with that is I just went, oh, do you know what? Stuff it, I'll take a camera crew. One day, <laughs> one day. So I have a real goal to get to Antarctica. But, yeah, no, I've missed out on heaps of stuff. There was one time when I was in the Navy, I applied to be the aide-de-camp, the ADC, to the Governor-General. So the Governor-General has one person from each of the military services that acts as kind of like a an escort yeah. and a, a, somebody who uh, helps them like a, manage their diary and make sure they're getting yep. to the right place at the right time and all sorts of things. Um, and I applied to be the aide-de-camp to the Governor-General uh, at the time and I got knocked back for it. I was like, oh, so gutted because it was going to be an amazing job, you know, travelling the yeah. world. Like the hours kind of suck but you get to do all kinds of wild things. It's a it's sort of a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Um but then as it turned out, the Governor-General at the time was uh, actually building her aide-de-camps. She was making sure that they were all female so she could yeah. have a really, you know, make yeah. a big statement. When I realised that, I was like, oh, okay, yeah. cool. Yeah. <laughs> I, I had nothing to do with this, right? Yeah. Um, and then I managed instead uh, to go to the Middle East and have do that you know i got a bronze commendation yeah. from my time over there um doing counterterrorism operations that was like an opportunity that would never have come up if yeah. i didn't have that disappointment yeah and then also an icelandic volcano blew up and um the shut down travel and the poor old governor general and the aide-de-camps got stuck in europe for about eight weeks or something ridiculous right. like that so the point of the story is yes i've had heaps of disappointments yeah. i just don't look at them as disappointments yeah. for very long i grieve yeah short and sharp mm. and then look forward to what else could this be i think having that mindset of like the amazing things i'm doing now wouldn't have been possible yeah. if i got something else there's no right or wrong turn exactly. you're doing exactly what you should be doing right now yeah yeah it's it's funny it's this is what we've sort of learned over the course of this podcast is you know having people like yourself in who have had success mm. who seemingly are doing what they should be doing and just realizing that it's all sort of just luck and there's no you know right or wrong answer to whatever sort of path you happen to be on yeah like i was always told as a kid that my parent my parents would be as proud of me doing you know being in the navy or yeah. whatever as they would of me being uh like a garbo yeah just as long as i was the best at it yeah but and i've never been the best at anything but, uh, yeah, I try. I try. <laughs> but I reckon I would be just as happy being a Garbo, yeah, to be honest, or yeah. anything else. I would find, well, I hope, I would find the joy in, in whatever I was doing. So how fun is your job as a presenter? It's oh. wild. I love it. 
it's yeah. it's a lot of work, right? Because at the ABC, it's not the same as maybe a commercial station where yeah. they've got a lot bigger team, a lot yeah. more money. I write everything that I do. Yeah. I cut the pictures that I put to air. I, you know, everything that you see from me is me, with a very occasional. Um, example of maybe when I've coached an intern to write a story for me or something like that. But, um, but it's always under my guidance. Uh, yeah. So everything I do is me, which means that I'm busy. I'm very busy when I'm at work, but also breakfast means we get to play, you know, other news places, uh, away from breakfast television are often one person or maybe two in a studio. Yeah looking at a camera, reading stories, yeah. the end. Whereas on Brecky, like, we've got three hours of telly to fill. Like, there's a lot. So we muck about and we and we play and the audience uh, get to get involved and write to us. Yeah. And um, so you, I guess you create this sort of family yeah. as well with your fellow presenters and yeah. the crew. Yeah. But just for example, today I got to, like, so I was up, stupidly early and and at work but my day today i um we celebrated queen mary uh, being brought onto the danish throne or you know actually uh, the coronation i guess of queen mary um and as a result we had great danes in the studio i got to eat licorice and danishes uh i interviewed neil gaiman <laughs> who is an, an amazing author from the uk um you know, it was just That's crazy. This is yeah. this is my day today, and tomorrow it might be something completely different. Yeah. But it's always fun. Yeah, and it's so it's so strange that you would never have gotten to that point if you had stayed in the navy. Yeah, yeah, or didn't apply for that you know job as a presenter at the ABC. Yeah, it's yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah. I still like I've been doing this for wow. It'll be seven years this year. Um, I, st- I still absolutely pinch myself. I, I sometimes look back at my day and just go, who, what, when, how? <laughs> this is not a an opportunity, a life anybody should lead. Like yeah. I, I can go from interviewing a politician, you know, or a senator, um, which I've done on air, uh, to like famous, famous artists and scientists Um it's just, it's wild. It's, it's really wild. I, later on this week, I'm getting on a, um, <clears throat> later on this week, I'm getting on a, a boat that's run by um, the Fire and Rescue Victoria mm. and just cruising around Melbourne, like, you know, <laughs> on the Yarra in a boat for three hours doing telly. <laughs> what life is this? Yeah. Like, it makes no sense, but it's great. And it's, it's fun to do it for the audience. What celebrity interaction has just blown your mind that you're talking to this person oh so many so many um uh, well <laughs> neil gaiman today yeah uh, i this last year i've spoken with three different astronauts that yeah. just really absolutely blows me away um the Oh, just even people and like I know you've spoken to Rob Mills. Yes, like Rob yes. Mills is a mate of mine. Like I, <laughs> I watched him, you know, on telly it's as odd. a kid. It's strange, yeah. Uh, and now he's he's my actual friend. Yeah, like, like I, I yeah. can call him right now. Like, it's it's bizarre, but um, like meeting people like Tina Arena and you know just all these huge names from from Australian culture. It's um. Yeah, it's it's pretty darn incredible, and and such an honour. Yeah, it's 
Well, I'll give you a bit of an origin story of yeah. how this podcast started. So my co-host and I, Harmon, who's not here, mm-hmm. we were just working in a logistics job um, late 2022 and just turned to each other one day and said, hey, do you want to do a podcast? I'm like, yeah, let's do a podcast. Nice. So we sort of scoured the internet to see what podcast studios were available to us on weekends because we had a nine to five, mm-hmm. Monday to Friday job. And this place, Stupid Old Studios, <laughs> was was an option. And, you know, they only charge $50, $70 an hour. So we said, fuck it, let's just go and, <laughs> Perfect. and, and rent this studio and just, you know, just shoot the shit with each other and just talk. And we knew we wanted to have guests in that we admired. So we knew we wanted to have photographers in, actors in, comedians. Mm-hmm. And it was just a matter of reaching out to people saying, hey, do you want to be on this podcast? And more often than not, people say yes. Yeah. So it's just crazy from – I'm a big Star Trek fan. Oh, yeah, cool. So I started reaching out to, you know, people's agents and managers and – all of a sudden, I'm talking to John Delancey, huh? Q, yeah. who played from Star Trek: The Next Generation, oh, to incredible. to people to talking to people like, you know, Colin Lane from Lane and Woodley. Yeah. So we just talked to a whole bunch of different types of people that we've both admired a great deal, and we recorded seventy odd episodes last year. That's incredible. Do you know what though? There's a lesson in that, isn't there? Yeah. That um, number one people are people mm. even the famous ones some can be dickheads but yeah. mostly people are just people yeah exactly and also like you just don't know until you give something a go mm. like you just have a crack that I mean that that's how i got this job right yeah. like they they didn't even want me they, like i know they don't want I, I knew they didn't want me from reading the um the ad because they wanted a journalist that was interested in the weather but my master's uh, course taught me because remember i i never really applied for jobs properly like i <laughs> I had a couple of jobs when I was, I had several jobs when I was at uni, but mostly they were somebody's parents knew that there was a space and yeah. they'd said, oh, I know somebody who wants a job, right? So that, that, uh, I applied for the Navy. That was a real application. And then I'd kind of hadn't applied for a job for 12 years. So when I did this master's program, they, they gave some advice and I loved it. They said, uh, like think really broadly about mm. your skills because few people want a science communicator. Yeah. They need a science communicator, but they don't even know that science communicators exist, yeah. right? So right. when you're a qualified science yes. communicator, you got to think about how your skills can apply to other jobs. Yep. And, and the best bit of advice they said was, if there's a number, call the number. Yeah. Always call the number. Yeah. And so this was literally the first job that I saw out of, of uni and I thought I actually wouldn't mind doing that. (laughs) They don't want me, but I can see how my skills could apply here. And there was a number and I called the number and spoke with the executive producer. And now here I am, which just, it's an extension of that. Right. Yeah. Just, just call the number. Just, just do the thing. Just speak to somebody and you never know what could happen. What's the worst that's going to happen is someone says says no, no, or they just never get back to you. Exactly. Right. So you just have to create your own, opportunity by, yeah. by doing that like because you can't imagine the contacts that we've made over the last yeah. year now which is just we wouldn't have had that a year ago mm. 
<laughs> and the fact that I'm doing this on a, I, I can comfortably do this on a weekday now as opposed to weekends. It's just another. That's very cool. Yeah. <laughs> that is very cool. I do have a fantasy. Don't stress because I'm not leaving breakfast anytime <laughs> soon. But I do have a fantasy of the day when I won't have to get up at 3.30 in the morning. <laughs> I would like to create that for myself one day. And I will, but not yet. What would be the sort of dream Nate Byrne I'll, show? Well, I had to I had to rejig all of my dreams when mm. I got this one because I was like, oh crap, that yeah. um that fantasy job, yeah, I, I'm doing it now. Yeah. Like, and about oh, probably six months or a year in, I realized that um it wasn't like they weren't going to kick me out, like because mm. I you know for a little while there I was like. Oh. Somebody's going to figure out that I'm not meant to be here. Uh-oh. But um, but when I realised that wasn't the case, I was like, oh, gosh, I think maybe I should rethink about yeah. my future. Yeah. Um, so my current, uh, like, dream job, I'm, I'm putting this out into the world so somebody <laughs> can get in touch with me. No, I would love to do big documentaries. Yeah. Um, like, big, chunky. You know, nobody... Nobody, I think, goes to the movie. Oh, not nobody, but very few people go to the movies mm. or sit down for a documentary with the intent of doing that. But a lot of people yeah. will come across a documentary and go, oh, yeah. I watched that. There's so much to talk about, about our world and so much interest um, and so many interesting things and things that are just a little bit mind-blowing. I want to talk about them and I would love to do it in an ideal world in one big doco a year. Everybody, if it kind of like in Attenborough, yeah, right? Like, yeah. I was like, oh, what's the Nate Docker this yeah, year? Yeah, um, and spent a good six months on it. You know, maybe have a yeah. few Docos like going at the same time and a team of people, and like we're writing and pre producing and then filming and then like doing the editing thing. But I can just work on it for six months a year and spend six months a year just being at home and chilling and having ideas about the next one. Yeah, that would be, yeah, the dream. I don't know if that's ever going to happen, but yeah, fingers crossed. Yeah. Wow, that, that that would be amazing. I'd watch, yeah. I'd watch that. Look, I could do that for the rest of my life. Yeah, I I already sort of consider myself retired in a way. <laughs> like even though I'm working really hard and constantly, but like dream job. Don't tell the ABC this, but uh, if they stop paying me, I'd still rock up. Yeah, because I love it. I just love it so much. Yeah. What What's the biggest thing that it's taught you? That job has taught you as a person. Oh, the biggest thing. Actually, hmm. that, that's that's tricky. It's, it's taught me a lot. Um, maybe about inhabiting the audience, about thinking about other people's perspectives. Mm. Because I think when you're the expert in the room, normally you just get to be the expert, right? Yeah. Like, so if I was just there doing the weather as the meteorologist, what I say goes the end. Yes. I, I think especially in acad- academia, yeah. Um, towards the upper echelons of academia, like you still listen to new ideas and things that yeah. are happening below. But generally you're like, I'm the expert. What I say is the thing. Yeah. The difference with what I have to do with interviewing people especially is I turn into a proxy for the audience, right? So I have to think about them. So yeah. even when I'm interviewing someone like from the Bureau of Meteorology or a scientist where I actually know the science I have to not know the science. I have to be the audience and and dial back what I know. Yes. Stop pretending like I'm in your club mm. or even being in your club if it comes to a meteorologist. And I have to I have to dial that back. I think that's the biggest thing I've learned is yeah. how to try to uh, kind of 
put myself in other people's shoes. Yeah. I think. I don't know. Ask me again in 10 minutes. I'll have a different answer. I I love that answer. Uh, I was a particularly, um, I've always been sort of socially anxious Hmm. before starting this podcast, but as, as we've progressed, I'm less, less anxious because this is like a controlled environment I've made for myself where, because if I bumped into you on the street, I'd probably be a bit more anxious than I am now. Hmm. And so that's the biggest thing. Thing that this podcast has taught me is yeah. I don't have to be anxious. I just, as you said, people are just people. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I was lucky in a way because, um, because I, I didn't have many friends when I was at school. Yeah. Uh, no, not as a, as a primary school. I, I was friends with a bunch of girls. Uh, high school, I slightly did better, I guess, but, um, I, I was, I was bullied a bit, particularly when I was younger. So I have every reason to be socially anxious um but for some reason i don't know what did it for some reason i just keep pushing regardless yeah. <laughs> like yeah. you can tease me you can make fun of me it hurts and and, and i don't like it but also it's not going to stop me from trying to meet new people because everybody's so interesting and has something to say everybody's got a story and just because you meet a few dickheads doesn't mean everyone is yeah. you know and that's something that luckily I, I'm not afraid to talk to the person behind the counter mm. or go up and speak to a police officer or whatever. Yeah. Like, yeah, luckily that's not something I've had to contend with. Well, this podcast has also made me a bit better in the real life, <laughs> in, in the real world as Good. well, which is Good. crazy. Yeah. It never would have happened if not for this. That's brilliant. And, and also <laughs> shows you that, putting your hand up and trying something right and just giving yeah. it a go can bring a whole bunch of other benefits that you don't even realize could happen in the first place. When do you think you're at your worst? Oh, hmm. when am I at my worst? I, my entire family, really, we can get pretty stubborn. Mm-hmm. And when I'm uh, under attack, for for some reason, whatever reason, I generally get hyper-focused um, and that stubbornness really kicks in. And I'm at my worst when I don't take a second to rethink my first thought. And it happens, you know, when things are heightened in an argument or something like that, which to be honest, I don't argue very often. <laughs> but but when that happens, I do all the things that I hate uh in normal life where you know find a position irrationally sometimes quickly and then stick to it yeah. regardless yeah. that's when i'm at my worst when i'm at my best is when i'm really really flexible and willing to listen and try to do what i said before like you know take the perspectives of other people and, yeah. and consider them um yeah i can be a real i'm glad i didn't have to work for me in the navy because <laughs> I can, I can, I can get a tone and, uh, and take a position, which is pretty, pretty unpleasant. Not often, mm. but I can. Was, was it, was it a smooth, was it smooth sailing all the way through that job? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I was, um, I was really lucky. Yeah. I think I had some more senior people who, uh, and I don't know this, this is just my guess. Um, I think I had some people who were in decision-making positions uh, for my career mm. that looked at me and kind of went, oh, 
Don't know if he's going to be able to cope with that. <laughs> so, because uh, the thing that I was scared of when I was a baby, they used to say, when I was a baby, like when I was first joining the Navy, yeah. uh, they used to say seamen officers, now maritime warfare yeah. officers. See, uh, sorry, I'm also, there's cameras and I'm eyeballing <laughs> yeah, I know. these cameras hard. I know, I know. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah, they, they used to say seamen officers eat their young right. because that's from back in the day when the, the military was, was pretty tough and hard, right? They're yeah. still tough and hard, but... It's a lot. It's a lot more welcoming and understanding, and they actually, you know, think more now about how they train people. Back in the day, it was just you'd get basted until you got it right, and that was worst on the pointy ships, like the warships, um, you know, frigates, and uh, so I was always terrified because. Like I thought that was where I was going to have the hardest time. I was yeah. going to be yelled at. I was going to get everything wrong and stuff up and I was going to kill my own career. Um, but I actually never served on one of those pointy ships. They put me on small boats where it's a much smaller crowd. Uh, everybody gets on a lot better because you actually get to know everybody. Yeah. Um, so I actually ended up getting my ticket really quickly, which surprised me. I, I got I got qualified super quickly. Um, well, super quickly. Relatively quickly, uh, and had a great career, loving it. And I think it's because somebody was was looking looking out for me. Yeah, well, I just would you do you think you'd be able to go back into a career like that? Oh, in the in the, in the navy, navy. Oh, yeah. in a heartbeat. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Really? Um, not only do they make it a lot easier these days yeah. to move in and out of the military, yeah. but yeah, it was great. I had a I had a ball. But the advantage is that I got out on a high right mm. like i saw so many people and i helped so many people leave the military because i because i was an officer so i had a, a division of sailors that i'd look after and uh, over the years those divisions change obviously with each posting but uh, over the years I, I helped several people transition yeah. out of the military and one thing i realized was i don't want to hate this when i'm getting yeah. out like leave before you hate it and luckily i never got to that point because I can go back, yeah. right? Whereas these people yeah. would never touch a uniform again. Do you form really close friendships? Yeah, yeah. Very people we still in contact with today? Yeah, definitely. Um, although it's odd um, because especially in the Navy, postings are around about 18 months to two years mm. generally and not everybody's on the same posting cycle. Mm -hmm. I, other forces, they all do a, ma a massive posting where the whole military essentially moves jobs mm. all at the same time. Um, we don't do that in the in the Navy. It was every, it's staggered and all over the place. So when you join a crew, like I would always make fast friends with people, yeah. but it was like a clock was ticking, right? Because... 18 months, they probably posted in six or 12 months before you. Yeah. So somewhere between six months and 18 months was the time that you'd get together. Uh, so you'd form really close friendships because, you know, shared adversity, yeah. you're in this small space away from home, yeah. then in random cities yeah. with lots of money and you're party going time. through this together. Yeah. 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 So, so you'd become really close friends. But then be moved away and sometimes to other sides of the country or to completely different jobs. So then you just wouldn't see them. Life wouldn't realign. But the thing that I loved about the Navy and still love is that when I see those people, it's like no time has passed. Yeah. You know, even though I haven't seen them for 15 years or something, we're still best mates. Do you think anyone could just join the Navy or do you think you have to be a certain, certain type to 
to last. There are different types that survive the Navy. I reckon, <laughs> I reckon mine, and it's something that I've carried through into, uh, into my job now. It's a weird mindset. And I don't necessarily recommend it for everyone, but um, I treat it all like a big game. Like, so the military, obviously a very serious game, right? Yes. I, I'm not suggesting that, you know, we're playing silly buggers there or anything, yeah. but the, the stuff around it, like the culture stuff around it, yeah. right? It's kind of like a, uh, there's a set of rules. This is yes. what you've got to do in order to be part of this team or to work in this place. Yeah. And the gamification of it in my head, at least is like, how, how many of those things can I learn how to do? Yeah. How can I tick all those boxes? Um, and, Things like in basic training when they're, you know, making you carry logs through water and it's dark and it's cold and it's raining and windy and all the things point you towards like this should be a miserable thing. Mm. I was there being like, oh, this is so cool. I'm yeah. ticking that box. You know, I'm learning how yeah. to play by these rules. Um, yeah, that's that's kind of helped carry me through. And I think if you have that mindset that like I'm going to play this game, I'm going to yeah. get on board then it's great. You just got to find the places where you are allowed to uh, stretch and bend and be different and then make sure that you're complying in the places that you can't do that. Like I was still me Mm. in the military, just in a uniform and um, lots more sirs, ma'ams and all of that. I think it's a great thing to, to have that option because it does allow people or presents people with options if they don't know what they want to do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you get a lot of online hate? No, no, not a lot. I mean, most of what I do is pretty non-controversial, right? Yeah. I, for the most part. Like I'm not actually doing the forecasting day to day. Yeah. None of us are. We're using the Bureau. I mean, <laughs> there is an entire Bureau of Meteorology <laughs> working around the clock. Yeah. One dude cannot do all of that. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I'm obviously using using their forecasts and, and I mean, they're the best in it. Mm. Well, certainly in Australia, but perhaps, you know, arguably amongst the best in the world at, at forecasting. So <laughs> no need to reinvent the wheel. Um, uh, but wait, your question was, <laughs> it's completely got out of online, online hate. Do you deal with a lot online of online hate? hate? Yeah. Right. So. So I'm, we're all using the Bureau forecast, right? Yeah. So so nobody's really going to be coming and yelling at me for doing the job wrong. Mm. That's good. Um, I've had some pretty homophobic stuff. It's often few and far between. Where it's been um, uh, public, that doesn't bother me at all. But I'm like, mm. okay, everyone can see that you're an asshole. But uh, in DMs, in personal yeah. private messages, um then that bothers me. And there've been a couple of times where I've publicly talked about it. Um, but to be honest, it's, it's vanishingly small, very much in the minority. And luckily, like I said before, you know, Nate as a kid was pretty soft yeah. and stuff and the Navy hardened me up. Yeah. I got a pretty thick skin. You so work, it must have been hard. a full on thing to deal with when you were first starting as a presenter. Um, yeah, I, Oh, actually, when I very first started, there was quite a lot because people, like Aussie television audiences don't yeah. like change very yeah. much. And I changed a lot when I came in. You know, it used to be a woman mm-hmm. uh, who was doing my job and so now it's a man. So I had to deal with all of the, well, the misogynists largely that were like, oh, he wouldn't look as good in a dress. Uh, you know, not really anything to do with me, but just yeah. kind of, you know, bemoaning the fact that they don't 
yeah. to, to stare at a lady in the morning. Um, but then also I did things like didn't wear a jacket, didn't shave. <laughs> and that was deliberate. That was really deliberate because I'd just come out of this science communication yeah. masters, right? And so I was thinking about things like, like, like the image and what you portray. Yeah. And so when the boss at the time said, okay, well, what are we going to put you in? What, what sort of thing would you like to wear? I was like, well, actually, I'd like to not be in a suit. I'd like to roll up my sleeves yeah. and have a bit of, you know, keep a bit of stubble. Yeah. Because I don't want to be science guy telling you stuff. I want to be like yeah. fun uncle. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. like let's, let's play. So it was like really deliberate. But people hated it. People hated it. And they still every now and then like, oh, you should go and shave and get a real job. Um, yeah. <laughs> but for the most part, the hate's really few and far between. It's normally more about them than it is about me. Is it strange that you've had to sort of form this character or this persona um, doing the weather? Oh, to be honest, it's not very different for me. Yeah. Um, I, there, there is a difference. Yes. I'm a lot swearier in real life <laughs> than, than my TV uh, personality. Yeah. And also um, a little... Uh, I don't know if I should say this, but also a little bit um, more mind in the gutter right, um, yeah. in real life. Yes. Uh, I like I like a bit of cheeky innuendo yeah. or whatever, um, which just doesn't work on, well, <laughs> number one, the news, number two, breakfast, <laughs> right? Um, but to be honest, it's it's not a world away from who I am as a normal person, who I the person I, I am on telly. And actually I think that's the case with all of us on Brecky yeah. and that's why it works so so well is that we're, we're – genuinely ourselves but in the same way that you talking to your grandma yeah. might be a little different from you yes, talking to your mates of course, yeah that's the sort of difference um but otherwise we're just ourselves which is you know a nice way to be and it means we can be genuine Do, does the abc set you off on you know any big adventures like you know you see sam mack on every week Yes and no. So, um, or they few and far between because it's the ABC. <laughs> yeah, but I'm like, I, I've done some amazing things. But the difference between us and what the commercials do is, you know, the, the commercials. It's got, sens sensationalized to a certain degree. It is, yeah. and paid for. Yes, right. So, yes. like, you have to keep in mind. Well, not you have to, but it's a good idea to keep in mind when somebody's appearing from a resort in Queensland mm. or from, you know, a shopping centre somewhere or whatever it is, yeah. what's the motivation? Mm. I also have motivation when I go out. Like like later on this week, I, like I said, I'm going to be on the water on the Yarra. Uh, but the motivation is to tell people about the capabilities that fire rescue victoria yeah. have yeah. to for on water operations La, uh, just over a year ago now i went to um the murchison in western australia into the middle of the desert to have a look at the square kilometer array the this this yeah. huge telescope made out of antennas that essentially look like christmas trees that wasn't because I was trying to sell it to anyone. It's because it was we're doing amazing science in Australia uh, that's like world leading, and I, I wanted to go and talk about it. Um, so yeah, I get to do some big adventures, yeah. and like that was probably the biggest. Yeah, it was pretty wild. Um, but the intent for us is very different from the intent of of, of some others. Mm. I think that's yeah. diplomatic enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Um, what excites you about the weather? Oh, it's massive. The problem of it all, the 
the fact that we can predict the future yeah. with any sort of accuracy, it's, it's just mind-boggling. Oh, yeah. Right. And it's actually dead simple. Like the maths that, that underlie all of the weather, it's a couple of steps above what you do at high school mm-hmm. for sure. So it's university maths. But, I mean, I taught myself most of it because, like, I'd finished uni years and years and years before. Yeah. And by the time I, I came to do meteorology, they actually needed a slightly higher level of maths than what mm. I had had from uni. So I retaught myself that maths. So essentially you can teach yourself all the maths you need to know just online, just watching mm. some YouTube videos. Um, it's all really, really simple and basic, but it's big. It's really, really big. And when you get really, really big, it's really hard to know all of the things that you don't know. Mm-hmm. There are small errors, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, if bump everything as I, <laughs> I'm squaring off to think about this. <laughs> think about having a, a pot of water at like 99 degrees Celsius, right? Just about to boil, right? Yeah. It's got a little simmer, like little shimmer on the surface of the water. It's, it's ready to go. And then you pop up the, the heating just a little bit. Scientists don't know. We can't tell you where the first bubble of the boil is going to appear, right? Mm-hmm. We can tell you that it is mm-hmm. going to appear, mm-hmm. but we can't tell you exactly where because even in just a pot of water, there is so much we don't know. We, If you could find out the exact energy and direction of movement and speed of every single molecule in that pot of water, then you should be able to figure out what happens next. Thing is though, that pot of water isn't actually like a sealed system. The, the metal around it, the air above it, the wind, the, the wind blowing across the top of it all interact to change what happens in that pot of water from moment to moment. So we can't even figure out where that first bubble of boiling is going to be now do that in a pot 10 k's high <laughs> that surrounds the entire globe yes right yeah. like it's such a ginormous problem yeah and we get to solve it as best we can every single day yeah that's what gets me excited yeah that is, and the fact that we yeah. get it anywhere near right <laughs> is just mind-blowing <laughs> but we actually do really damn good yeah. a lot of the time yeah that's yeah. That's amazing. Mm. Um, do you? What makes you sad about the weather, or the environment? What? Where do you see the world going in the next twenty years? Yeah. Um, okay. So, what makes me sad is that people haven't listened. Yeah. Essentially, uh, and, and I don't mean individuals, but like culturally, collectively, scientists have been talking about climate change mm. for a long time. Thing is. The creep has been slow, people's memories are short, uh, and there hasn't been any big driver. You know, nothing really to say, hey, now, we need to do this now. And people are really, really good at putting off slightly difficult things until later. Yeah. Uh, and that that's what, what disappoints me. I don't remember a time in my life where we haven't talked about climate change one way or another. Yeah. The, the conversation's changed. Uh, you know, it used to be the two sides of yes it's happening no it's not happening equally 
talked about. And so glad that now, because of the the overwhelming evidence, which actually has been there from the get-go, right? Yeah. But but now now it's you know, every every day there's more evidence pointing us uh, telling us that it's happening. It's happening as we speak. Um now increasingly we're starting to see the effects of it. People seem really, really keen on starting to do something. Mm. But even then it's not quick enough. That's the thing is though, mm. I'm not I don't have despair, which I think is handy mm. when it comes to thinking about climate in particular, because I have a lot of faith in people. Maybe that's misplaced, but I think we're pretty damn smart and I reckon we can figure it out. Do you think we're just dragging our feet on this yeah. one? Yeah. And and the thing is, the thing that really makes me sad is for the, the stuff that we don't know we're losing. Mm. You know, there are entire species of... Well, yeah, ex- insect extinction. And, yeah, yeah. That, that we will never know. We will never know existed yeah. because so we'll have been driven to extinction before we've described them by science and probably we'll be too busy in the near future trying to survive yeah. rather than spending time on things like learning about the creatures that, that we drove to the edge. And that makes me sad. We um, had... Alan Duffy on the um, oh, yeah. podcast Alan. last year. I love Alan. Um, and he is pretty keen to, um, you know, start populating the human species on other planets. Oh, he wants to get off world. <laughs> yeah. Do, do, do you think, is that a, do you think we'll get there? Nah. No? Nah. No, no. Not in our lifetime? Not in the way that you think. Yeah. Um Look, look, we will. We'll, yeah. I mean, we already have people off world, right? Like, yeah. like in the yeah. International Space Station. Um, and soon, although recently delayed, back on the moon. Mm. But that's what we're doing and what our presence there, what it looks like is more like, you know, being in a submarine at the bottom of the ocean mm. rather than living on the surface of yeah. Earth. Um you know, I talked about the, the atmosphere being this huge problem. Yeah. That's the other thing. Like the, the scale of it, to change something to make it suitable for us is an immense task. So, you know, people talk about terraforming Mars mm. or something like that. Is it possible? Yes. Is it going to happen in our lives yeah. in 5, 10, 15 generations? No, because <laughs> there's so much. There's so much space you'd have to fill up. Um Plus, you don't know how that's going to change things on the planet. The thing is, like, I love and I want to live in it. Like, I would go to Mars in a heartbeat. (laughs) And even if they said you're never going to come home, I would still go uh, because I just reckon that would be amazing, Uh, just an incredible experience. But but realistically, getting us somewhere else is highly unlikely because turns out the universe is pretty incompatible with life. Yeah. Pretty much everything, everywhere wants to kill us, mm. including much of Earth. But, <laughs> but by chance, we've managed to evolve um, to live quite well in this really tiny little barrier just around the edge of this rock. Yeah. And not even completely across it, just over some of it. And it's perfectly, well, we're perfectly suited to it. So it seems like we should spend way more time thinking about <laughs> keeping that like thin blue line intact rather than um, trying to go somewhere else. Although that said, I mean, come on, Star Trek, 
take me anywhere. <laughs> I would, in a second, if I could step foot on a foreign rock yeah. of any, like, moon, oh, oh, so yes, please. And I wish we could live there. But the other thing is you don't know where you're going to wreck, no. right? No. Humans, we're pretty, we make a lot of mess. Yeah. Are you surprised that we've lasted this long on Earth? No. No, I think we're kind of like a virus in a way. <laughs> You know, we're, we're very adaptable. Yeah. Uh, so just like you've got different waves of corona, you've got different waves of human. We just keep figuring out different ways to solve the problem, right? Which is what makes us so incredible. Mm. And there's a philosophical um, idea which I really love and I, I wish I could tell you who wrote about it, but I've got one of those brains that stores little facts yeah. but not complete tomes. Yeah. Right? I don't have complete understanding yeah. of anything. But uh, <laughs> there's there's an argument that, Humans are actually a way for the universe to know itself. Yeah. So we're like the universe doesn't care. It doesn't. No. But we're kind of like the universe's consciousness, conscience, yeah. consciousness, both actually, um, which which I think is incredible and wonderful, and I love that as an idea. Uh, I don't think anything set out to keep us alive. If there's any other beings out there, anyway. And they could be. Yeah. I hope there are. Right. Um, you know, chances are pretty much every time the universe tries life, it's probably going to wipe itself out and stuff up. And we may too. We're not going <laughs> to exist forever. But I like to I like to think that we're, we're pretty good at being that virus and surviving. I just want us to be one that doesn't kill our host. Yeah. Dude, when we had Alan Duffy mm. in, we just want him to say that we're aliens. Oh, there's almost certainly <laughs> aliens. Almost. Just certainly. they haven't. We have. There's no way we would be able to communicate with nah. them. and get very disappointed whenever tyranny, I hear someone say that. Yeah, tyranny of distance, right? Yeah. That's the problem. Yeah. The, the universe, you think the atmosphere is big. The universe, it's incredibly huge. Mm. You know, there, there's always one thing. Well, there are many things that I think about. My brain's constantly going. But um, you know the asteroid belt? Yeah. Uh, so not, not the Kuiper belt, the one all the way out, you know, Pluto, but the one closer in. Uh, whenever you see a, an asteroid belt shown in a movie, you know, a rock yes. spinning around and yeah. smashing into yeah. each other. And if you stood on any one of the asteroid belt bodies, you would not be able to see any other one because they are so far apart. It's the distance is yeah. so huge. It's just... It's not the way it's portrayed. No, because that would... <laughs> how all. boring would that <laughs> Absolutely. be? Absolutely. <laughs> but... Uh, but you know, the yeah. anyone that tells you that they understand distances and uh, in space and, and how fast the the universe yeah. is, they're full of it. They don't. If you think you know, you don't know. Uh, you, it, it's something that's beyond our ability really to comprehend. Um, but I do know that it's so big. It would be really unlikely that we're the only time that life happened. But the thing is, that's not the only thing that's big. Time is big as well. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, Hundreds of thousands of years is nothing mm. on the scale of the universe. Life could be tried constantly all over the place and never would two of us be close enough to ever even know the other existed, which is kind of sad and also beautiful. Yeah. But there's also a chance we are the only ones. What's the, what's your favourite country that you've, that you've travelled to? Oh. Weather-wise as well. Or just sort of, for me it's Iceland because... It's just so otherworldly. Yeah. I've yeah. never been. Oh, it's just glaciers and active volcanoes. People just living next to active volcanoes. Like that's normal. Yeah. 
I would love that. <laughs> I would love. I, there are a few yeah. things I haven't seen. I haven't seen a glacier. Uh, I haven't seen lava ever. I've been in an earthquake now. Yeah. Uh, thanks, Melbourne. Um, <laughs> I've never been in a cyclone either. Uh, look, the the most interesting country I've been to. There are so all of the countries I've been to have been fascinating, but for entirely different reasons. Um, the Pacific Islands, I love. I mean, it's so hot and sweaty and green and lush and the people are so lovely. It's wild. Europe is so pretty, the architecture mm. and the seasons even, you know, which we don't really get here in Australia mm. in the same way. At least not not many of us do. Um, Asia, I love. I spent a lot of time in the tropics. Most mm. of what we did in the Navy was in the tropics. My family's from the UK, so I spent a bit of time in Europe. Uh, also in America, but keep that. Uh, <laughs> uh, I would. How about? It's not a. It's not a different country. It's part of Australia. Yeah. But um, Thursday Island, perfect, perfect place. Yeah. Yeah. Just gorgeous water, stunning scenery, calm, relaxed, interesting weather. Mm. Get a couple of seasons or three seasons. Um, yeah. But I'm not built for the tropics, to be honest. I'm sweating even here. <laughs> oh, it gets very hot yeah. in the studio. It, what would be your sort of ideal day, weather-wise? Now, see, mm, <laughs> I've got a problem here. I've got a problem here because there's, there's two tracks. Because I'm a human being the same as anyone else, yeah, right? Yeah. I would like a cool, crisp morning, yeah. a warm, sunny day, <laughs> and then a long evening with a bottle of wine. Like, that's, you know, that's not controversial. But it's also the most boring kind of weather. Yeah. And so the meteorologist to me, no interest. Nah, nah. <laughs> I want a big thunderstorm day. I want severe thunderstorms. I want mamatas, you know, these uh, clouds that it's called mamatas clouds because right. mammary lobes, essentially gotcha. I call them boob clouds. Uh, it's a sign of severe weather where you get these long pendulous lobes that come down from the bottom of a the cloud. They're, they're incredible. And if um, uh, they look really ominous and if the, the thunderstorm that's generating them is severe enough then it's full of hail and light shining through that can be cause this really eerie sort of teal color in the sky like mm-hmm. greenish mm-hmm. like it looks like something from a sci-fi movie like that and then being able to sit in front of the radar and watch the storm evolve and to walk out in it or even like a cold front. Oh, how good is a Melbourne cold front when it's yeah. like 42 degrees and really yeah. windy and gusty and then like in three <laughs> minutes, like it goes from that to being like nice 19 degrees. Yeah. But like, you know, it yeah. just whips around yeah. and then it's freezing cold. Well, freezing. But like the buildings are still so hot that they're still radiating. So you're like the air is cold, but the concrete's, you know, still baking you. Like that's that's wild. And I like interesting weather as a meteorologist, but as a human being. Well, Melbourne must be the perfect city for you. It's not too bad. Yeah, it goes all right. I mean, what is up with Melbourne's weather? How do you mean? (laughs) Why do we go through multiple seasons in a day? That's just because of exactly where we sit, right? Um, So we're far enough south that we still cop the cold fronts. Mm -hmm. We're on the eastern side of the country. So the weather's generally coming from the west. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, So we often get air that's travelled across the middle of the nation, right? Um, But then, so that's the warm, dry, 
gusty winds that you get ahead of a cold front, but then the cold front whips through and now you're getting Southern Ocean air. Then sometimes we can get air from the east, which is like what we've been having recently where it's so humid, yeah. right? It's been coming from the yeah. northeast. So air from the tropics. Essentially, we get so much weather because here the weather can come from any direction. Yeah. In WA, like, so I'm from Perth, it comes from two directions, either the east or the west. Mm. So it's either really, really hot in easterlies or really, really fresh yeah. and cooler in yeah. westerlies. That's pretty much it. Yeah. Um, the winds from the west come over the ocean, the winds from the east come over the middle of the country, and that's essentially the two kinds of weather you've got, which is why Perth weather is really stable. Um, yeah, whereas here it can come from... A whole bunch of different directions <laughs> and each of them present a different kind of air mass mm. um yeah it does keep it interesting i like it yeah me too i i prefer the colder climates as well because i grew up in the snow oh really basically i well, lived in kuma for oh, yeah. quite a while but it snowed there pretty regularly and yeah. i loved it see i don't ever think about snow because because I'm yeah. a Perth boy, yeah. right? It just wasn't an yeah. option. So I've been on this side of the country for a long time now, but I've never once been to the snow. It's it's great. Yeah. Like especially when, you know how you can choose your sort of um, the sports that you do for a term Yeah, yeah when you're school. in high school. Mm. We had skiing as an option. Oh, look at which you, we could, fancy Which boy. we could do during the winter periods. It was Great. Yeah, that's that's wild. Whereas Loved we got it. snorkeling. Yeah. You wouldn't have had much of that in Guma. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> Not at all. It was like a whole day as well. Like usually people would, you know, go to their sporting of sporting of sports of choice in the afternoon. Yeah. And there would just be an afternoon thing. But because we were going up to the snowfields, it'd be an entire day activity. That is as well. So you'd get a cool. day off school as well. <laughs> it wouldn't just be the afternoon. Get in. Nice. <laughs> um Thank you for being here today. Yeah, of course. Um, I'll wrap it up in a second. Just a couple more questions. Yeah. Um, first of all, like, it's so strange not doing this with a co-host. So I hope I haven't been too sort of nervous or no. I hope this has gone th by smoothly. Because usually much. you have someone to bounce off of. It's strange losing that person. Mm. Especially I think... I know if you were just all of a sudden presenting the weather yourself or the entire show yourself, I'm sure that would be quite intimidating. Completely different beast, yeah. Yeah, and this is you're the second guest I've had this year as well, oh. and you know, the second guest I've handled by myself. So, thank you. Well, I was it was a, it was a pleasure <laughs> being handled by you, Dan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what words of wisdom would you live by? Ah. Uh. You're really throwing them at yeah. me, eh? I would say be kind, put your hand up, try to do good. And remember there's always time for a laugh. There are very – it's something I, I've realised more as I've become a communicator, first by training and, and now through doing the job. There are very few times when a bit of laughter isn't good. Even, you know, a funeral. Yeah. Uh, even, like, talking to a politician or, like, people want to want to laugh and feel good. It's a great way to yeah. let, get people to let their guard down a little bit. Well, humour is such a release yeah. as well for times of, you know, turmoil or stress or what, whatever mm -hmm. it is. Yeah. It's just... So cathartic as well. I think it's indicative that, you know, when you're nervous, mm. you laugh. Yeah. 
right? Like it's the thing that our bodies do to try yeah. to like stop us from being in that state yeah. or, or well, to like indicate to other people yeah. like <laughs> everything's fine. <laughs> well, you could be going through a nervous breakdown or experiencing the worst day of your life and you just need that release. You just need to be able to laugh at oh, yeah. how ridiculous is, yeah. is this? Oh, another bit of advice. Have a go at people for the decisions they make mm. and the things they do, not for who they are or, or how they look. Mm. That's something else. I'd, when somebody teases somebody for having a big nose or something, I, I don't get that. Mm. I don't like it. Tease them for their ridiculous beliefs about, you know, the climate or yeah. religion or politics or whatever. But, um, yeah, that's something else. There you go. <laughs> Is that enough <laughs> to live your life by? And just, just yeah, yeah, like I say, have a good sense of humour and give stuff a go. Is that the sort of advice you'd give to a young Nate Byrne as well? Oh, for sure. Yeah. For sure. There would be a few things I'd, I'd tell little Nate and it would it would mostly be like stop stop stressing stop mm. stop trying to please everybody um although that's exactly what I do now <laughs> to be honest <laughs> but um but just just have fun just keep having yeah. fun stop stressing about things um because because I was you know especially you know, before I came out mm. and uh it was I was a pretty nervous little kid but but I did my um you know laying over the top the yeah. the boldness and yes. stuff to, to hide the fact that I was freaking out in the background. Yeah, of course. Um yeah, which ended up serving me well. But yeah, just relax. Everything's okay. That's good. Yeah. Talk to people. Have a chat. Everyone's got a story. That's yeah. another thing actually. <laughs> While we're giving out good advice, <laughs> everybody's got a story. Everybody. Yes. Every single person you see has something fascinating going on, something amazing to tell you that's something you don't yeah. know about. That's They might not be very good at telling you about it, but they've no. got a story. Everybody has a story. Everything is a story. Yeah. That's what the entire world is, right? Because it, it's this weird universe processed through people's brains and we make a narrative to make sense of the world. And as a result, everybody has a story. Yeah. You just have to listen. Yeah. And it is so much fun. Or sometimes you've got to tease it out a little yes. bit, right? Yeah. But it's so much fun. And yeah. I, that's really what I get to do. Yeah. That's a great place to end. Thank you yeah. so much for being here. Uh, anytime. And I, we'll, we'll come back and I'll let you, do, you guys two-way me. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.